Robert and Sarah Fuste were heading on one last trip before a big move when an industrial truck slammed into the back of their family van on May 1, 2019. Robert was instantly paralyzed. Weeks later, when he wakes up from an induced coma, he would begin a journey of learning everything anew, along with struggling to find the answers that would bring him peace and allow him to continue to hold on to his faith. Hi, I'm Leilani Langdon, the host of What's Your Story, a place where we journey through the lives of others in order to inspire you, the listener, to know, own, and share your story. So make sure to lean in as you join us on today's journey. Welcome back, everybody, to What's Your Story, episode five. I just, so I have a question for you guys. How many of you guys write? How many of you guys journal? So I am an avid journaler. I am actually, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm actually in my in our garage. Our studio is a, is a garage studio. And I'm actually looking at two bins that I currently have in front of me full of journals all the way from like college time till now. And they, they have, they hold so many of my experiences and my stories that, and there's just so, so, um, dear to my heart. And the reason why I wanted to talk about journaling is because I think it's so important to um, face our stories. And one of the ways that we face our stories is through sitting and doing intentional reflecting. But intentional reflection, if reflection is so powerful to allow us the opportunity to really process um, our lives, process our experiences, hoping to shift them from negative to positive. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but writing has the power to reduce stress, anxiety, and even depression. I don't know if you knew that, but it actually has the physical ability to shift your stress. Now, it also has the ability to strengthen your memory. Um, research actually shows that writing reduces intrusive thoughts and improves your working memory. So your ability to make decisions right away. It also boosts your mood. So just like running would do, right, or exercising or eating your favorite dessert <laughs> um, may make you feel happier or, you know, having a great conversation, laughing, boosts your mood. So does writing. And so it, it, it is just overall an amazing experience for well-being. And so I just want to encourage you tonight that as you're listening to their story, that you begin to process what it would be like to sit down and write your story. What would it be like to come face to face with some of those experiences and see them outside of yourself so that you can gain knowledge, so you can learn, so you can understand, so that you can gain um, purpose, right? And be inspired by your own journey. How many times do you go through life feeling like, man, I have not grown in this season of my life, or I have not accomplished much. And then you go back and you read those journals and you realize how much growth you have gone through. I have a prayer journal specifically. And so I use that as just my uh, opportunity to express myself and, but specifically to God. And it's, it's been so powerful for me personally, journaling and writing out your story and your experiences has the power to shift your overall well-being and help us go from negative thoughts to positive thoughts. And that's what we want. We want to live a life on purpose. We want to live a life focused and we want to live a life with no regrets. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on Robert and Sarah. Hello. <laughs> 
I love it. Yes. Hand claps ready to go. I love it. You guys are so funny. <laughs> it's so funny whenever I bring on a guest because um I can see obviously the the audience can't see you, but I can see you guys. So as I'm talking, it's funny to see you guys laughing and you know, just you you're just enjoying the experience. So I appreciate it. Robert and Sarah, go ahead and introduce yourselves to our community. <clears throat> Well, thank you, Leilani, for this opportunity. Um, like you were saying, it's uh, it's a powerful thing to go through. I know I don't journal, so this is an invitation mm. for me. I, I know my it. wife does a lot more journaling, but um, yeah, lots lots that was gleaned, and also lots more still to to come through to sort out. So thank you. Yeah. Anyway, rapid fire. Uh, my name is Robert Fuste, and I'm Sarah Fuste. We've been married for 18 years. And we have three children, ages 12, 9, and 6, about to turn 7. Oh, I'm half Spanish, <laughs> half American. And I'm half Finnish. My mom was born in Finland, but I'm, I'm also a Canadian. Hey, I didn't know you were a Canadian. Oh. We have, listen, we have some Canadians, and they're very, very proud, proud, proud of being Canadian. So you might well, see Canadian flags pop up. There is reason. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So Robert and Sarah, um, tell me, what's your story? Oh, good question. So let's go back to, uh, let's see, April 2019. So that's what, roughly two and a half years ago? Yeah. Um, it was a pretty exciting but stressful time for us because we were kind of between two different chapters. Mm. <clears throat> One chapter was we had the awesome opportunity to kind of lift up our whole family of five and go to Spain to live for one year there. That's where Amazing. I was born and raised. And um, and we really wanted to um, have that cultural experience for our kids, uh, for them to learn Spanish more. We certainly did as well, brush up. Um, Wonderful. So it was just an awesome time. So we had that awesome experience and then we came back to Michigan and then uh, we felt impressed uh, to move to another place. We were on our way to Anacortes, Washington, um, mm. to be closer to my work headquarters out there. Um, so kind of those were the those are the two things. We we had sold our house here in Michigan of 13 years. Wow. We already had a signed lease agreement out there in Washington, paid our deposit. Uh, the house was full of backing boxes. Um, so it was just woo, chaotic, fun, but chaotic. And um, in the process, um, we said, hey, we want to visit some uh, family there in Wisconsin, um, brother and sister-in-law. And so we said, OK, let, let, let's head there uh, before we make the big move out to Washington. Another little piece of uh, trivia, too, was at that time I had a pretty awful uh, lower back pain. It was pretty debilitating. Not, not trivia. Yeah, not not <laughs> real, but everything is relative now, detail. I guess. Unnecessary detail. Yeah. So my lumbar region was in a lot of pain. Okay. And uh, so for that reason, um, on the day that we headed out to visit these relatives, um, I decided to be in the back of the van uh, laying down because I just could not see myself mm. sitting for five to six hours. It was just excruciating pain at that wow. time. So Sarah was driving the van. Uh, and we had all three kids in, and I was in the back laying down with my uh, son next to me in his seat. 
and May one become our became our May Day. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, like Rob said, I was behind the wheel, and the traffic um, in in there in Milwaukee just stopped abruptly. So I had to brake hard and um, and even pull the car into the shoulder of the highway. Wow. Um, where I waited for the cars ahead of me to move forward. And uh, it was about five o'clock p.m. Uh, and out of out of nowhere, um, a long a white semi truck sideswiped our van and just started oh to crunch us into the concrete median on our left. And then moments later, it was an industrial tow truck that smashed into the back of our of our van. Right. Oh right my gosh! So um, the van kind of crunched to a stop pretty quickly. Um, of course, you have no idea what's happening. Your brain has to catch up to trauma like that. Yeah. So I just turned around, what is going on? And my two girls burst into tears because mm. um, when the truck hit us, my head had hit the side of the van and uh, laceration here covered my face. Oh my eyes. gosh. Um, so I was just telling them I'm okay. I couldn't feel any pain. Mama's here, we're gonna be okay. Um, but as I looked back in the van, I saw my son just completely slumped to one side. Oh. Um, so he he had been sitting in the back, as Rob said, next to Rob. Um, and my daughter, Melanie, and I just started yelling for him to wake up. And I was dialing 911, all of this all at once. Um, probably in about 30 seconds, uh, Tito, our son's name is Tito, he regained mm. consciousness. And then I turned to look at Rob who was um, kind of crunched forward and pushed forward between the seats. Um, and I just yelled at him, get up, <laughs> get mm. up, babe, get up. We got to go to my brother's house. We've got to sort this out. <laughs> oh, oh um, my gosh. Um, you know, I had no idea how badly he was injured. No, no clue. He had some blood on his face from the glass that had yeah. shattered. His eyes were closed. Um, he said to me, it's bad. His eyes were closed. He said, it's bad. And then a moment mm. later, he said, I can't breathe. Um, oh and so God. I was just, I didn't know if he was in that moment. I, I did think, is he about to die? I was like, don't go to sleep in all the mm. movies. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> wake yeah. up. You have to wake up. And, you know, the panic started to rise, to rise. And then I heard the sirens and the paramedics arrived and uh, mercifully they, they took over. Um, wow. Rob, Rob doesn't really remember much. No, pretty much. I just, I remember ringing in my ears, like like you see in the movies, just yeah, body type experience. And I remember just trying to, just saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And intense, it's like somebody had taken a huge dagger in the back, in the middle of my back. Wow. Going like this while I was lying there. And, uh, and I remember somewhere in the blur, an EMT uh, was tapping my leg only because I could see him doing that. And he was saying, hey, can you feel this? And when I couldn't, I knew that that was uh, when I knew it was bad. And then mm. blacked out. And I guess it was about six weeks until I came to again. Wow. So they put Rob on a stretcher <laughs> and hurried him off immediately in one ambulance um, they put a neck brace on me and put me also on a gurney. And um, the kids and I rode in another ambulance to the hospital. Um, 
where a social worker met us and kindly took the kids to a waiting room. And I was rolled into the trauma bay right next to Rob. And I caught a glimpse of him with a crowd of medical people around him. And someone was pumping air with an ambu ambu bag into his, um, into his lungs. And I remember (laughs) just crying out, is he dead? Is he dead? dead?" All I saw was just a scene of death. Mm. Um, It was pretty, pretty, horrible to be lying down and strapped you know they had to do all their work on me and all I wanted to do was to know what was going was on okay with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm sure they wouldn't have let me um be near him even if I could have um the only thing that held my panic at bay was a song I remember I just sang it silently to myself mm-hmm. over and over um it was um, a song we had learned a long, a long time ago. Um, there's a Spanish version and an English version. The English part goes, nothing can trouble, nothing can frighten. Wow. Uh, those who seek God shall never go wanting. And I just repeated <sighs> it Powerful. over and over again because it literally felt like the anxiety was rising up to flood, like to drown me. Yeah. And I was singing it. It stayed down. It stayed wow. down just low enough that I wasn't. Um, having a panic attack there. Um, and I, wow. I lay there, they did their their work on me. And then uh, my brother, who was Tyson, who waved at us, showed up. Mm. And, um, when he showed up, he immediately took my hand and squeezed it. And mm. the, um, the panic that I described that had been flooding, yeah. around, it just completely receded. It was like, the presence of someone who loved me. Yeah. Um, still trembling, of course, but it was different. Um, it was then that the trauma doctor came over to me and gently told me that Rob's back had been badly broken. And based on their initial assessment, it appeared that his spine had been completely transected as well. Um, at the time I heard him, but I didn't hear, I just, I thought there, you know, there must be a strand. There must be something that can be rehabilitated. Um, I I hoped that further evaluation would bring some hope. Yeah. Um, so a resident stitched up my forehead and they read my CAT scans and then let me go and see my kids, um, who had been about six hours by then in the waiting room watching PBS Kids and eating mm. snacks. <laughs> Social worker. Auntie Josie had shown up then too, Um, and we took um, we took Tito briefly to the children's hospital ER um, to make sure he was he was okay, and then packed the kids in in their auntie's car, and they drove off in tears. Um, Of course, that was when um, the neurosurgeon was contacting my brother and I. Um, it was 1.30 in the morning when we met with him in the family center, and he told me that, indeed, Rob's back had been completely broken at um, T4, which is about chest level, and that his spinal cord had been severed. Um, oh, my goodness. The photo um, on the phone showed me what words could not. And mm. I, I just asked him, I said, well, aren't you going to try to put the spinal cord back together? Back together, Yeah. And he said, no, um, that's beyond our current medical understanding. The spinal cord is a little bit like butter. So it's like very, stick of butter. it's very, 
it's just they can't put it back together. We don't wow. put the spine back together. Um, so that was sort of the moment of impact for me, as you can imagine, where um, the truth of what had happened earlier that day just began to keep sinking. I'm home. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I had to get up. I couldn't sit down. I just I just remember staggering to one corner of the room and and. <laughs> Yeah, just falling to the carpet because it's paralyzed. My husband yeah. is 16 years. Um, we had literally been driving to get therapy for his, you know, for his his back to be healed because he had been in a lot of pain. And oh my like, goodness! Hmm. Um, irony isn't a strong enough word. Um, so no more soccer. No more mm. swinging your kids up in the air again. Um, didn't know at the time that there'd be no more regular peeing, no more mm. intercourse. Um, wow. The grief, the grief was was big, of course, but um, but the surgeon needed to get Robin to back surgery as quickly as possible, so it was signed the papers. That night right. I barely slept. The family center at the hospital is warm and wonderful place. Gave my brother and I a, a private waiting room. For the mm -hmm. night, every time I laid down my head, it was like the accident replayed in my mind, right? Like a TikTok video, just the trauma. The trauma. It has no place to go. Yeah. So I, um, I made the excuse that I was going to the bathroom and escaped um, the att the attempt to sleep. Um, I remember feeling like my legs were moving through a swamp. Just mm. walked down the hall, and across the way was a chapel. And I just, um, I just went in there, and there was a stained glass dove um, lit with light. And the dove, um, I just knelt down in front of it, and um, <laughs> the the only prayer, because prayer is where my heart goes, mm. where all our hearts go, I suppose. Yes, in impossible situations, and my prayer was just how. I remember writing it on a ribbon and tying it to the little prayer tree. Oof. Ow. Well, the back fusion was successful and Rob was put in the surgical ICU on life support. Of course, they let me see him. His face was completely disfigured from all of the trauma. Um, wow. He was sedated, so we couldn't communicate, but we did um, hold his hand and speak to mm. him. Um, just to paint the picture of the room, his his feet were in pressurized boots. Everything that came out of him was being collected in bags. There was a tower of drugs. There were IV bags wow. in his body, the respirator worrying to one side. Um, and over the next few days, we realized that the much more serious injury was to his lungs. They were not recovering. Wow. He had broken seven ribs. So when your ribs break, they often... Oh, my gosh. Pierce your lungs. Puncture, yeah. Had, yeah, he had collapsed lungs at the accident, which was why he was having trouble breathing. breathing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And, a, and an infection developed because that area was now exposed to bacteria. Mm. So um, for three weeks, they worked very hard with antibiotics to try and get the infection under control. They were going to, they were going to cut into him and cut out that part of his lung. But oh my goodness, he wasn't breathing well enough for that. Um, so we arrived around the third week and he developed, um, acute 
an, an acute inflammatory response where both lungs basically just started to fill up with fluid. He was drowning. Um, and even on 100% oxygen and the respirator, he, um, he couldn't absorb enough air to live. Um, meanwhile, the air was escaping inside his body cavities. Um, so he was blowing up like a blimp every time we oh went my gosh. to see him in the morning. Um, it was like a punch in the stomach. You just oh. couldn't recognize him. He looked like a sumo wrestler. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then I remember the phone call. Uh, some family members and I had escaped the ICU for a few minutes um, to drink <clears throat> some coffee at Starbucks. And uh, the phone rang. And the medical team needed to talk to me about, um, about ECMO, which I knew was the last tool in their toolbox. Okay. Um, so it's basically a therapy where they oxygenate your blood out outside of your body. So your lungs. Oh, okay. So. It, it's, it's what a lot of pretty severe cases of COVID have, have been put on, for example. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my sister was with me too, and we both climbed in the car um, in silence. And I just remember, I, I gotta, I gotta have a word from God. Something <laughs> on the radio. I was like, where's the Christian radio? Yeah. And I found, um, I found the Christian radio and I, I remember turning through the intersection left right by the hospital and mm -hmm. a song I'd never heard before um, by an artist named Danny Goki came on mm -hmm. and um, it was singing. It's like the brightest sunshine waiting on the other side of the darkest night. Don't mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful. Exactly um, what you they needed. Did the surgery. They inserted the cannulas in Rob's chest, bypass, bypass his blood. Mm -hmm. And they told me that we'll know in a few days if his body is actually going to respond to this. So wow. they told us, um, just take it four hours at a time is what they told us. Wow. So, um, but he responded. He was on ECMO in the, in the ICU for one whole month. And oh my um, gosh. his lungs began to recover enough so that he could absorb enough oxygen just being on the ventilator. Praise so God. Oh, my goodness. ECMO, which it was a miracle. It was a medically supported miracle, but it was yeah. also a miracle that he responded. So Absolutely. This is all making me chatter, I guess, reliving all of this. Of course. <laughs> Thank well, you, Lord is right. Yeah. I think what spoke to me when when I would be told these things after I finally came around to try to understand how bad it had been, um, they talked about how that that night where um, they were putting me on ECMO or, or something. Anyway, at some point, um, as they were getting ready to, to leave for the night, you know, every, every night they would go to the hotel, whoever was mm -hmm. around. And, and, and on a particular night, the, the nurse uh, on call at that time said, yeah, if I were you, I would not go. I would stick around tonight. So that, uh, that was a way of indicating how, how bad the nurses thought it would be. Wow. Well, 
Uh, so this is the part of the story where I finally <laughs> come around. I had been loopy. I, I spend a half hour telling you the uh, uh, the weird dreams that I had during that time. <laughs> um, very symbolic, though. It was interesting looking back later. But anyway, I started coming around. Uh, this was roughly six weeks after. Um, and so as I started taking the scene in, um, you know, I, I didn't know, but at that point I had lost 40 pounds. Um, obviously I couldn't talk because I've got this tracheotomy, this hole in my throat. Uh, That's helping you breathe. Right. Right. So no talking three quarters of my body are paralyzed. And the last quarter up here that did work felt just about the same paralysis because I was so incredibly weak. I remember text for the first time and I just could not hold the phone literally like it kept falling on my chest or on my face so I just I quickly gave up on that which made it hard to communicate they gave me whiteboards to try to write something and I and I couldn't like my my handwriting was mm-hmm. so just I I couldn't I couldn't get anything out to try to talk to all these people that were surrounding me you know I, obviously I'm not eating or drinking Everything is being uh, pumped in via tubes. And, but the, the most I could do was uh, the physical therapist had me get up, turn, sit on the side of the bed and try to do all that without passing out and without oh my gosh. random cord that was uh, stuck to me during that time. <clears throat> Pardon me. Anyway, um, I finally stabilized. They moved me out of ICU. I got put into the spinal cord rehab mm-hmm. unit. And um, there I was a bit more coherent. I had a bit more memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started just having a schedule of as much physical therapy and occupational therapy um, as they could, and even some speech therapy. They weaned me off the ventilator over the course of how many? Two weeks two, or something yeah, like that. Two weeks until I could eventually breathe on my own. And I started feeling a bit more human. Like Mm. that's when they, you know, shampooed my hair for the first time. They shaved my face for the first time. After uh, how long? uh, So 10 weeks after the accident is when I was discharged from that hospital. And it was on that day that I got my first shower. Oh, my gosh. Without a shower. Can you beat that? Yeah. (laughs) Drive some good, some good camping days. <laughs> I think I think you have uh, you have beat you have beat us all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So then, so then, yeah. Just to to keep things moving, I know that I'm getting into too many details, but we got flown over oh, to um, the second hospital um, over in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, called Mary Freebed, an mm-hmm. awesome rehab hospital. And that's where I spent another 10 weeks. So it was a total of five months between the two hospitals. Wow. There, um, usually it doesn't take that long in a rehab hospital. I know okay. some people that get spinal cord injuries that they're out of there in two or three weeks. But it was my it was my lungs that kept, I, I, I had several bouts of pneumonia while I was oh, there. Wow. Um, and it caused me to be tired all the time. Anytime that the therapist would try to get me to transfer from the chair onto a mat table just to do some basic exercises, just that process of bumping over from the chair, like my heart rate was reading 150, 160. Oh my goodness. Minutes. So, I mean, you can imagine 
it right. just it was slow, slow going. And, uh, oh, man, I, I felt like I was out of breath all the time. It was awful. But mm. wonderful people, you know, they, they, they uh, helped me learn how to talk again, eventually uh, how to eat again. If you can imagine relearning how to eat when you're 39 years old, but how to oh swallow. My yeah, like you lose atrophy. you lose muscle memory, and so they want to make wow. sure you're swallowing down the wrong tube and things like that. Right. And uh, how to get dressed, how to manage my prescriptions, obviously how to take care of number one and number two business. Yeah. Now that I was continent, how to how to take care of that, and then yeah, just overall setting me up for as much independence as possible. Sure. They're speaking. Um, then we, we got home during that time while I was in the hospital, uh, Sarah and all of our loving uh, sets of parents, uh, set us up, uh, with finding a home and buying mm. uh, it so that we had a place to land our feet after all this time, because we had already sold the other house here in, in Berrien. So, oh, so back in Michigan, because you guys were transitioning, so you ended up having to stay in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We obviously aborted the, the move to Washington and wow. bought another house. And uh, and so the hospital staff said, you know, hey, you know, you've done amazing work, but just know that that probably your hardest days are going to be when you first get home. And Oof. they were right about that because uh, I remember the first few days were awesome to be out of the hospital and not have to yes. do what everybody tells you to do all the time. <laughs> Around the um, clock. <laughs> and to be close to my family and to see this this new home to me. Um, but that didn't last long because mm. uh, it just, it, it began this this long, like every day being, having to face what I couldn't do anymore. And it just felt <sighs> like it was, a, it was a slave master that, uh, that didn't didn't lend up <laughs> very easily. It was awkward having people that would come every morning and evening to help me with some of my basic needs, attendant care, mm. having them in the space. Uh, it was humiliating to have to deal with my various bouts of incontinence and trying to sort all that out. Um, my stamina was really low. Uh, like at church when the service would be done, I'd be. I'd tell Sarah, "Let's get out of here. I'm. I'm so tired." Usually, we're the ones. We're the last ones to stick around. <laughs> we love talking and connecting with people, but I, I just didn't have it within me. The kids probably wish you were still tired like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, to get anywhere, to in my many medical appointments, I always had to have medical transportation, and it was a, a royal pain to have to be. Depending on them, they're always always either too early or too late to pick me up. Mm. Um, you felt like an old man, like a really old man. Yep, mm. I, I aged. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, years, yeah. At least for a while, just overnight. Anyway, I just began to resent it all because my days were just spent doing a bunch of stuff that I just mm. did not like. It took me so long to take care of all my basic needs just to get ready at the beginning of the day and, and, and to sort out, you know, the cathing throughout the day and then all the physical therapists and occupational therapists and speech therapists and recreational yes. and social worker. Oh my gosh. Bless them all. It was wonderful <laughs> to have them, but, but when you've got exhausting visits throughout the week, um, yeah. 
And then when I'm not with them, I'm going to all these medical appointments. I hardly ever went to the doctor before. I was nice and healthy. Mm. Um, and then whatever little time was left over was dealing with our lovely auto insurance people. And uh, Oh, my gosh. I forgot about the car. <laughs> well, no, not so much that. It's, oh. it's that auto insurance provided a variety of benefits for us. Okay. Because it was an auto accident. Because, yeah. And so uh, in order to take advantage of those benefits, there was just paperwork. and Yeah. Oh, got stuff it. Stuff like that. And um, I had to deal with, you know, the, the realization that it wasn't just losing my legs, but it was losing most of my chest, which means that if I let go, I start falling forward and most of your core, not your chest. Yeah, sorry, most of my core. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have very much a hunchbackish posture to me, which I greatly detest. Mm. And um, I'm always coughing because I have some long-term lung issues. So that's a lovely stigma while I'm public, especially during COVID. <laughs> a pandemic. And, and yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and I've got this tingling across my chest that is highly, highly irritating and it won't go away. It's pretty much there all the time. Mm. And we couldn't have sex, uh, or at least not in the way that uh, we traditionally had yeah. thought of. It invited us into a whole new way of trying to think about what it means yeah. to be intimate with each other. Um, no more touching the chest. <laughs> no. <laughs> A whole, a whole, it, that's a whole new level of spicing it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I just, I just started asking all sorts of questions that I thought were only reserved for, for people that, that were uh, just had come from either very broken homes or, mm. or just didn't have any belief in God, you know, aside from the, just why did it happen to me specifically? Anybody would ask that, why did this happen to me? But just right, the concept right. of why do bad things happen to good people? Mm. Uh, before I had certain pat answers in my head, and I realized that uh, that doesn't work for somebody who's in the middle of a lot of pain. Mm. Um, those questions become very real. Yeah. Um, you know, and even just um, we hear miracle stories of, of accidents being prevented in some miraculous way or people being healed physically. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that those realities do exist, so then you ask yourself the question, well, why did that not happen to me? Was that therefore God's will? Like, was that a premeditated will yeah. on his part? Like that was his plan? Like these were real questions that, that, uh, that I was uh, asking and, uh, but for a long time, I couldn't stand anything that smelled of, you know, your classic things like, oh, you know, I'd be doing some small recoveries and, and somebody would say, oh, God is good. And, and in my mind, I was like, what about that man that was next to me in the ICU that I found out had died mm. while I was in ICU? What oh. do you say to that family? Do you say at that point, oh, what does it mean for God to be mm. good in their situation? Um, you know, or people saying, um, oh, God has something better in store for you. And I'm like, yeah, but better cannot bring my body back. Mm. Um, so I, I know people meant well, yeah. I really do. But, um, 
but uh, there's a lot more gray uh, than, than to the black and white that sometimes we uh, we deal with, you know, like it, all these, all the, <laughs> this is awful, but you know, you've got all these obese people, you've got all these people drinking and smoking and just really doing good harm to their bodies. And they're just out there walking around just mm. fine. Wow. So just questions about fairness and anyway. And uh, I had several people that, that invited me to speak for some Vespers or whatever and, and uh, to, to, to share my journey. And I, I, I politely declined them because I told them I'm too angry with God. Wow. That's so you're lucky. Cool. You're the first. <laughs> oh, I so appreciate it. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I think the last couple of questions that I have written down here is just, just that idea of, of, um, you know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Mm. Um, I had a really hard time understanding what that would mean. What good could come mm. out of this? Yeah. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This is what you call abundantly. Um, anyway, I, I, I hope I've painted a picture. It's so hard. It's so hard because i had never understood depression. Mm. Uh, I never had anything really tough in my life. I, I, I lived the golden existence of mm. just so many privileges and things my way, our way. And, uh, so when I, when I, when I was in this really dark period, this first year, after the accident, I, I didn't know what to do with it. It was it was tough. So I'm I'm just trying to paint a picture of it. But I I do want to on the flip side, um, just say you know that that there are that there are things that um, we've seen God's mercies along the way, hmm. um, and, and and there has been a turning of a corner. It's amazing how time heals, and so. Um, I, I want, Always. I want, let me just interrupt you for one second Yeah. and just connect it to with how you began your show talking about writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of writing in the midst of this. It was mm -hmm. actually, um, I, I once knew a woman who teaches a course on writing through your trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I already had it in my head. I knew that it would be valuable for me to write through this. Um, wow. It was actually what brought me to some sanity the morning after the accident. I just, I just woke up early. I, I just woke up all the time yeah. and I just, I just started writing, writing it down. And um, it was in the process of naming both what was happening and what I believed that mm. taught me how to get through it. Wow. So I didn't necessarily, um, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily experiencing what I was preaching to myself. Sure. But I was able to reach for it as I wrote about it. Yeah. And, that, and there was, there was, there was mercy in that. Mm. And I can almost imagine stability, right? Even if life wasn't stable. Right. Right completely upended mm -hmm. our children were with grandparents thank god for the grandparents mm -hmm. um and our lives were yeah in every way 
in transition. Yeah. So this second year, I think we we can both agree that we've we've turned a corner. Mm. Uh, we don't exactly know what's around the corner, <laughs> right? But we like there has been a, a turning of that. You know, uh, two really good friends in this area um, helped me believe. Like one of the first things I remember after the accident was like, well, there goes my dream of switching to a full-time career in photography and video production. I thought mm. that, that's ridiculous. And But no, these two friends this last year, one of them invited me um, two summers ago to help with some videos at Andrews. And I said, why not? I'll tag along and see what I can do. And then another one uh, gave me an opportunity to work on some really neat contracts for our church um, administrative levels. And so I, I, they helped me believe in, mm. in that regard. Um, I posted, you know, aside from from the Facebook page where Sarah did a bunch of writing uh, and, and there was a good community there of people. Um, I did a couple of videos explaining from my side of things and yeah. bringing people up to speed and those were well received. And um, we enrolled our kids during COVID in a, in a neat uh, kind of outdoor forest school that they are still going to today. That's exciting. Um, that allowed mm-hmm. us to be able to have a bit more free time after last oof, two springs ago when they were at home the whole time. And, oh. <laughs> you know, I was able to finish driver's rehab, which was huge because it meant that I could get a, the insurance to rent me a van that I could drive myself so I could take my kids to oh, school. Oh, wow. I could pick up my prescriptions, which sounds hey. But <laughs> when this precious lady had to do so many things for me, mm. even though I could physically do them, but I was just sort of stuck at home, um, that was <laughs> that was a huge thing. And I could go to the gym. And then oh, in wow. January of 21, January of this year, we got covid which we had been really careful about oh, no. being super preventative. Right. Yeah. And um, we were fortunate that it never did get into my lungs. And so after that, oh, wow, praise God, knowing that we had a bit of immunity gave us such freedom. And, and then in the spring we got our own uh, van that allowed me to drive. And then we did our first trip in Florida uh, to see family down there for spring break. And then that went so well that we thought, Hey, let's visit more family. And so we were we were so fortunate to go to Spain for a good amount of time this summer. The first airline flight that we took together, and then we did another trip to Oregon. Wow! Um, so it was it was so so good to reconnect with family and to and to have that confidence. And and so really today now this fall, kids are going to school still. Oh, and um. I'm doing some travel for work for the first time without her there to help me. Wow. So that was Look a, at God. Independence mm-hmm. and uh, uh, doing some good work. Sarah, Sarah getting to do some writing. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, but those are the blessings. The blessings. Mm-hmm. Oh, so as you guys have reflected, and, and I just want to say praise God for these moments that you've had um, this summer. But as you've reflected 
over your story and over the last two years and the story that continues, what would you say you've learned? What's come out of it for you? Um, and there, then there are definitely some questions that we want to answer. But um, yeah, what, what have you learned through this journey? Well, um, you know, I, I feel like my, my whole life from very little, I was, I was just, I was, I was, I was always turning towards God from a very little girl. Mm -hmm. I wanted to follow Jesus mm -hmm. and, um, my whole life was just full of his goodness. I, I could, I could write books about his blessings mm -hmm. in, in our lives, um, and I could definitely say that you can trust God because nearly everything in my life up until then showed a good and very loving God. Mm. Um, but when Rob almost died, when his lungs were permanently scarred, when his body from the chest down was taken away from him, when our kids went through five months of family instability, then I really had to ask myself, can I say that God can be trusted? Mm. Um, as we were talking about our story over the last week or two to prepare for this, I could, I could feel the words of Jesus when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the moments when I experienced that, yeah, um, it was a question I could identify with. Um, how do we trust that all things will be worked together for our good when there's, when we don't see it, yeah. when there's no sign of it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the book of Hebrews has the stories and all the stories in the people of faith are stories of people who had to walk in the dark. You know, mm. like, I, I just I embrace those stories. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they were promised a son. How long did they have to Ooh, wait for that? Yeah. And then how did they keep holding on to that promise? How did Abraham walk up the mountain? <clears throat> To, to, to take his son's life. I mean, the promise was given and now the promise is being taken away again. Mm. But never did God abandon them. Abraham kept clinging to God. And um, I just think, I think I found the words that I, that I want to share with you and with, your, with, with the people who are with us on the show. Yesterday um, at church, there was a concert. And when I heard the words, my face started <laughs> covered with tears mm. and I thought, this is, this is for me. And it was the oh. Jeremiah 33, three, where it says, call to me and I will answer oh, you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Mm. And then the, so good. Speaker, the musician said, most of what God is up to, God is most certainly up to things and they are for our best good even though they might be marvelous and unsearchable. So mm, Ron and I are still I in the unknown middle of our story. But, um, but I know and I knew from the very start of the day of the car accident that I want to cling to my trust in God. Mm. Know that, you know, someday we will see how his goodness and mercy were chasing us down every day of our lives, including these difficult days that we have gone yeah. through the last, you know, two and a half years. For me, <clears throat> um, I, I, my, 
the moment where I started to shift, there wasn't anything, there wasn't an, um, oh, an aha moment, like an epiphany. Um, it's incredible how the, I was already in the midst of so much turmoil. Mm. And on top of that, I heaped on yet another fun burden, which was like, I remember feeling somehow the pressure that an injury like this should be something that radically changes me. And all of a sudden I would be a very transformed a person. person. Ooh, and, right. And, and that I would all of a sudden just be so other focused on other people and, you know, uh, starting a foundation and whatever. And right. As opposed to still dealing with the same uh, uh, crap uh, yeah. that I was before, but now just in different ways. And um, so, so this the whole first year, like it felt like a clenched fist because mm. um, for almost a year, two pastors prayed for me for healing. Uh, it started uh, right mm. before I left the hospital, and it went through till. Till almost the year after that, and uh, and and just as 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 time went on, uh, it, it felt like that that fist was clenching tighter and tighter because I was just that bitterness and anger that I was talking about before. Yeah, I was associating it with my desire to be healed, and somehow I made yes. that my I made that my dependency on on my relationship with God. Mm. In other words. Uh, in other words, God, you're there if you come through. Woo. And when it wasn't happening, um, I, if I just got through. more and more angry. But it was it wasn't serving me. It wasn't. I, mm. I was tired of it, and, and um, uh, I ended that experience. I I I was um, very moved by these two pastors' faithfulness. I mean, they were praying for me 15 minutes. 30 minutes a day, seven days a week for almost wow. 12 months. Um, but I closed that chapter and that was really hard to do because in a way it was like, it's like I was almost voluntarily closing the door on ever yeah. being healed. Mm. Um, and, uh, and then I was led to the book of Job. Uh, us Christians, uh, we've heard that sermon many, many times. Yes. You've probably read the first five verses and, and yes. the last five verses. <laughs> I totally missed out on the middle. And, and it was in the middle that I could relate to, to it. You know, I read, uh, I read this story, and it's just him going on and on about how what what what's going on here? Why me? And why am I being plagued by all of these awful things? And yeah. More than anything, him just wanting an audience with God, saying come on, I'm talking, and this is a one-way street. Mm. Um, and he was just getting the silence of God, and and uh, and his friends say, no, it must be something about you, you know, you need to repent, blah, blah, blah. And you come to the end of the book, and God finally speaks a little thunderously. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 he tells Job, you know, uh, you were right on one thing. Um, saying that your friends were not saying the truth, you know this this has nothing to do with you and your morality of what what you've done. Um, but the part that you have gotten wrong is casting the blame on me. Mm. And uh, I read Ooh. a commentary. I read a commentary book 
I wanted to understand more to unpack those verses. And I just, there wasn't a, a, a before and after moment, but there was a, yeah. a slow but steady invitation to just open that fist. Wow. Just, just let go. Um, on the on on the premise that I don't see the big picture, um, and uh, I I I I don't I may not know mm-hmm. why this why this has happened, uh, and it might be a long time before I ever know the why. Um, but that I can trust that mm-hmm. I am held and taken care of in the meantime. Um, so just, yeah, an invitation to humility and that way. And, um, so I'm not to the point where I can say, man, I would never trade it for anything. I'm just so much happier now than I was before. (laughs) Some people say that, wow, I'm not there. Yeah. Um, But I do know that, um, we've come a long way and, uh, and and we have seen God's hand at work. Mm. So thank you for the opportunity to, to share. Th- thank you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Robert, uh, I just want to highlight this. Thank you, Robert, for your honesty, setting many of us free with your story. I can't even begin to resonate how how freeing it is for <laughs> the people listening because so many of us have had these real moments of questioning God, right? And not not being okay. And I love something that you said that I think was so powerful. You said um, you know, you holding on to this this sense of healing, right? Was not serving your faith. And so it's almost like you had you had to let it go in order to regain that faith. You know what I mean? Like that sense of trust and openness, the vulnerability. I mean, just the ability to to be able to express that to us in a way that um, we have all felt at some point in our lives um, is just it's just beautiful. And I I'm I I'm beyond myself just to say thank you because because of your story and you being able to say these things and just be able to sit in the reality that you're still on this journey, you're still in it, um, is something that I believe is going to be a catalyst for so many who are going to hear and who are hearing to be able to have a faith and trust in God um, in a way that's not going to uh, separate them from him. And, um, we do have some questions though. So I do want to get to those. Um, we have a question here from, um, Moni, she said, and I think you may have answered some of this. So if you've answered some of it, we can kind of, uh, uh, skim over them. But, um, did you question your faith at any point you've answered, you've kind of shared some of that and how did you process all of it? What I, if you want to add to that, you can do that. Um, I was going to shift the question a little bit, but go ahead. If you want to answer that question. Well, definitely just, um, questioning. I, I, I would say we, we, we experienced this very differently. I, I think Rob questioned his faith a lot. 
And I think I was pressed deeper into it. I mm. think I think questioning his faith was part of being pressed deeper into it. Sometimes that comes first. And it was hard for me to sit by that. It was very hard for me to sit by um, his struggles and his anger and his... Um, uh, his, 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 what is the word I'm looking for? Lack of experience of God. Like his, the absence of God was the feeling that he had. It was hard to sit by that. Um, But thank God we had a strong marriage Mm. and he could let me be me and I could let him be him for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) There's always that for the most part. I, I tend to process more verbally than I do in written form. Um, at least that's what comes easier. Um, but I need to lean into other ways. And so I had a great um, group of men, three other guys, mm. um, whom, whom I've shared the journey of being uh, trying to be men of God. And uh, I was just able to... Uh, pretty much say whatever I wanted and express however many expletives mm. I needed to express. And yeah. I knew that I was in safe space. Uh, and that was, uh, that was great. I needed that. I think we all need that. That's amazing that you found that. There's this question, which kind of piggybacks off of what you just mentioned. What has been most helpful from your community during this time? Oh my goodness. We had, we had the most amazing community, you know, and, and the whole, and the Holy spirit, because my mother-in-law wanted us out West and our father-in-law wanted us to leave Michigan. (laughs) We had lived here long enough. And yet the same morning they came together and said, we just, he said in the shower, I was convinced. And she said, while I was getting ready, I just felt like I needed to tell you, Sarah, you guys need to stay in your community in Michigan right now. Don't move. Mm. Don't change it up. You need the support of your of the people who know and love you from before. Mm. This huge and so we had so many people holding us up in prayer. I had a moment where I was praying to God. I said, God, I can't pray. Mm. And God said to me, don't worry about it. I have lots of people praying for you. Oh, my gosh. And that was my community. I mean, near and far. Yeah. On a practical level, our church organized a meal train for us. Mm. I did not cook a meal. I was incapable of cooking a meal (laughs) until March when COVID hit. Oh, my goodness. So. I was provided Almost. for by family wow. members and then by the church meal train because, you know, I was incapable of thinking about those kind of things. Yes. Let alone uh, a family and church family uh, moving all our stuff from one house to another while we oh were at the hospital. Um, we were, you know, we had all sorts of donations given. And so we, we felt the great outpouring of, of help from, from a lot of people 
in this area. And we were so blessed to have family that was available to us. This did not happen during COVID year. Right. We had all of, we have three sets of grandparents and they all just gave up their lives for half a year they did. to be parents to our children and to help me who was basically single a single mom trying to be with my husband in the hospital and it was it was god's arms were around us felt, yeah you felt them through the people that were there there's a there is a uh, one more question um pam says so blessed for community it's it's incredible. It is in, an incredible opportunity to be able to have a community that supports you. Um, and you have shared a little bit of this, but are you able to share one or two things that God has said to you during these past few years? I, yeah, I can share more stories. I mean, I had, I was just sharing yesterday with the ladies in, in a group at my church. Um the night that uh, Rob was put on ECMO and mm -hmm. I, we were told to just take it to, to, that we would know within a day or two if he was going to, you know, be recovering or not. Um, I heard God's voice that morning. Um, well, let me not put it that way. I was taking a bath. I was trying to relax. Uh, woke up really early and I just, I had this, um, I had this question in my mind from God, which was, uh, can you trust me if Rob lives or dies? Hmm. Um, so you would think that that's not a very nice question, <laughs> right? It wasn't, it was a very difficult question. And I just lay there in that hot water until it got cold because I couldn't say yes. I couldn't say that I could trust him if he died. And I know now that it's because I felt like if I said, yes, I, I will trust you if he dies, that I thought that meant that God would take him. Mm. Um, but since then, uh, when I was telling that story to one of my friends uh, very soon afterwards, she said to me, well, you know, um, when you came to the end of, of you being able to trust and not being able to trust, well, that's where God just reached in and said, I'll take care of that part for you. Mm. And so I, I really did. I felt like God took care of taking my hands and pulling me across the gap when I said, I can't trust you. This is the part I left out when I was just, I can't trust you, but I want to. Mm, that was yeah. prayer. I can't trust you. I can't give him up, but I want to trust you. Mm. And that was, that was, that was it. It wasn't about my trust anyway. It was about, it was about um, surrendering to, to God's, Him. you know, outreach to me saying, okay, I'll take it. I'll take your yeah. little faith. <laughs> Are you willing to give it to me? Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's absolutely beautiful. 